0: One verse, look at verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Our last time that we were here, we considered Ehud and how the Lord used him and how it affected the nation of Israel, and Israel experienced a great victory uh, over the king of Moab, and, and um, the Bible comes along right behind that in verse 31, in just one verse, and says, After him, after Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat, and he also delivered Israel. You know, the Bible is actually filled with tales or stories or accounts, really, of obscure people who appear on the pages of Scripture and then promptly disappear right after that. Those people step out of the shadows, if you will. They're used mightily of God for that occasion, and then they fade away. And most of them never to be mentioned again. The Bible's full of stories like that. A few come to mind. Just turn over to 2 Samuel 23. 2nd Samuel chapter 23 Notice verse 8 The Bible says these be the names of the mighty men whom David had the Tachamonite that sat in the seat chief among the captains the same was Adino the Esenite he lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time Can you imagine uh, killing or slaying 800 men at one time? What kind of an amazing feat is that? Not by the power of his own strength, surely by the power of God. But the Bible never mentions him again. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they uh, defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. Here's another of David's warriors, uh, mighty men, Eliezer. Uh, If you read a little bit more, look at verse 10. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Eliezer, another of David's mighty men, the Bible says that he stood boldly in the day of battle, and he fought so long and killed so many Philistines that his hand wouldn't even open up anymore to allow the sword to be released. The Bible never mentions him again. Look at verse 11. 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Here's Shema, another of David's warriors. The Bible says he stood alone in a field of peas and fought the Philistines, and God gave him a victory. And we could think of many more. How about the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17? She fed the prophet Elijah. God used her uh, greatly in that moment. And then she disappears from the scene. How about the little Israelite maid who told Naaman about the man of God in 1 Kings chapter 5? She told her master about the God of Israel. It led to his cleansing, it led to his conversion. That's all we read of her. How about. The little boy who gave his lunch, and Jesus multiplied it and fed thousands and thousands of people. He gave what little he had. God took it and used that tiny portion to feed that vast multitude of people. And we read stories like that, and and my mind goes to, like for that little boy, for example, I I wonder what happened to him after that. I wonder how he grew up. What was his life like? We just don't know. But the point is, the list like that can go on and on and on, and it seems that God chooses those who are unknown, those who are obscure, to accomplish His work in this world. And 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 29 tells us the reason for that is that no flesh would glory in His presence, that only God would do it. And all I'm saying and illustrating here is that our passage before us today is no exception. We're introduced to a man named Shamgar. He's an unknown man who appears on the pages of the Word of God for a brief instant. God used him in a great way, and then he vanishes back into the shadows from which he came. There's not a lot that's known about Shamgar. He's only mentioned two times in the Bible. Here in verse 31 of Judges 3 and in Judges chapter 5 in verse 6, he's mentioned in passing. And so there's not a lot that that is said about him. However, what is said about him does tell us some things, and it implies to us at least that he was a man of character and a man of courage. And the little information that we are given reveals to us that God used him in a great way. And so I want to look at Shamgar today, and I want to preach a message of encouragement to you. I want to make three observations out of this one verse and see that Shamgar was a worker, Shamgar was a warrior, and Shamgar was a winner. And I want you to notice these observations with me as we consider this judge that God used in a powerful way. And prayerfully, it'll be an encouragement to you in the life that you live and your Christian life to stay in the fight and to stay on track and let the Lord use your life. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd encourage us from this simple message, these simple thoughts today. And I pray that uh, you would challenge us and encourage us that our purpose in this life, even though life is short, uh, can be weighty, it can be great in the hands of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not give up, but to stand and to uh, be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Consider, first of all, Shamgar the worker. The Bible says, after him was Shamgar the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. The name Shamgar, it means a sword, or it could mean a cup bearer. Uh, either one of those names would fit Shamgar. Uh, he was like a sword in the hand of God. Uh, as he, God used him to destroy the enemies of Israel, he could be like a cup bearer, who was the vessel that God used to bring the cup of wrath to those that God would judge. We learn a couple of other things, or we know a couple of other things about Shamgar. He's called the son of Anath in the Bible here. And that could mean one of a few things. We don't know exactly for sure what that means. Uh, Anath was the Canaanite goddess of war. So that might have been a nickname for Shamgar. It's possible that he was called the warrior. That name could also mean that he was from the town of beth Anath which was located in northeast Israel in the land of Naphtali. Or it could simply mean that his father's name was Anath. We don't know for sure. Um, One thing that does seem to be fairly certain about Shamgar was that he was a farmer. And we take that from the fact that the Bible says that he fought with an ox goad. And we can't be 100% certain about that but it seems likely that that would have been uh, the case with him because an ox goad was not a weapon. An ox goad was an agricultural tool. Uh, An ox goad was a pole that was probably about eight or ten feet long. So it was quite long. On the one end of the pole, there was an iron point that was sharp and it was used to prod oxen who were pulling a plow. And an oxen might not respond to a voice command or to the pulling of reins, but the oxen would sure respond to a sharp poke in the backside from the ox goad. And so one end of it, and that's also why it was so long, because he would have been at a a fairly good distance from his oxen. And you can imagine that it might have actually been fairly heavy, because I've read that an ox goad was probably about two inches in diameter. So it was, a, it was a, a fairly hefty piece of wood probably with an iron point on the end of it. The other end of the ox goad uh, I have read was, was uh, in the shape of or like a spade with a metal tool on the end that would have been like a spade. And that would have been used for cleaning off you know, wet clay or roots or other organics off of the plow points. And so it was a it was an agricultural tool. It was a farmer's tool. And the Bible says that he fought with an ox goad. And so we can surmise from that that he was probably a farmer of some sort. Another thing that we know about Shamgar has to do with the time in which he lived. It was a very difficult time for the nation of Israel. Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5 talk about the times in which he lived. The nation of Israel was being oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan. Jabin was a powerful enemy. And the Bible says that he possessed 900 iron chariots. Look at chapter 4 and verse 3. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, uh, excuse me, go back, to, I'm, in, I'm in verse 4. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. That's the time frame in which uh, Shamgar ruled or judged in Israel. And so Jabin's army seemed completely unbeatable. And probably in those days, as would have been the custom, he also probably did not allow the Israelites to arm themselves. Notice chapter 5 and verse 8. The Bible says, They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? And so Israel was probably defenseless, militarily speaking, not able to arm themselves. It was a time when people were filled with fear. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, And the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose, a mother in Israel. And it's a description of the days of Shamgar. It was a description of the days of Deborah, that the people were filled with fear. They were afraid to travel the highways because of their oppressors. They were afraid even to live in the villages, in their homes, because of those who would invade and would attack them. It seems that while Israel was oppressed by Canaan, they were also under attack from the Philistines. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I said all that to say this. One of the greatest lessons that we can take from Shamgar is that God tends to use those who are already busy. Those who are already working. Shamgar would have been busy. He would have been busy working. The nation of Israel quickly decayed after a new generation took over a generation that didn't know Joshua or didn't know Joshua's God. And instead of exhibiting spiritual fervor, Israel sank further into apathy. Instead of obeying the Lord, the people moved into apostasy. And instead of the nation enjoying law and order, the land was filled with anarchy. And everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. And for Israel, it was actually the worst of times. In all of that, when God called Shamgar he called a man who was already busy. Shamgar was a man who seemed to be actively working. And the application is pretty simple. God doesn't use selfish or lazy people in any fashion. When he looks at a New Testament church and he looks at people who are inside of that church, you know what, God puts his hand on people to use them. He chooses those who are actively engaged in His work already. That's who God chooses. And people say, and Christian people say, Oh, I want to be used of God. Oh, I want to be used of the Lord. Why do we say that? Because that's the lingo. That's the the thing you're supposed to say. And so on. But is that how people actually live in their daily life? We need to remember that He saved us To serve Him. Ephesians 2 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is His will. As we are faithful in the least of things, God assigns us to more things. And if God cannot trust us in the smallest of things, how can He use us in greater things? And we can make all kinds of applications with that. What about, what are the least of things? What are the smallest matters of obedience? Like, for example, do you faithfully tithe and do you faithfully give to missions? That's a simple thing. That's a little thing. That's commanded of God that anybody can do. But if we can't even be faithful in the smallest of things, how can we say, oh, we want God to use us and use our life for His glory and other things? Do you seek to bless others and edify the church? That's a simple thing that's commanded of the Lord. My life is, is not about me. My life is actually about the Lord, and God has commanded, as a member of New Testament church, that my purpose is to help edify and grow and build the church, the Lord's church, and be a blessing one to another, to serve one another. Listen, the days that we live in, they're hard days for the servants of the Lord. It seems as though the government and society, it's growing and growing more hostile and more, and more hatred toward the Lord and toward the things of the Lord. It seems as well that hearts are becoming continually harder against the message of the gospel and the Lord's call to salvation. To witness to somebody and to, to let the gospel would have an impact and effect. It doesn't seem as widespread. It doesn't seem as, it doesn't seem as, as though uh, people's hearts are soft. It seems that they might be continually harder and harder as the culture changes. Even among Christian people, it seems like the love of many is waxing cold. It's a hard day to raise a family to protect them there's all kinds of dangers now that really weren't dangers when I was a kid at least not as accessible not as prevalent it's hard to be in the ministry in these days not long ago a preacher told me that he feels and he's convinced that pastoring churches in these days is harder than it's ever been in generations past. And maybe the hardest days are yet to come. It's hard to be in the ministry. It's hard to serve the Lord. It's hard to raise families. It's hard to be a witness for Christ. However, we cannot forget, we cannot use that as an excuse, number one, And number two, we cannot forget that these are the days that the Lord has chosen us to live in and to work. That we're here for such a time as this. And so, the challenge is, and the encouragement is, church member, stay faithful, do the best that you can where you are with what you have, and keep on serving the Lord. Stay busy doing what is available for you to do. Serve the Lord with gladness in any way that you can find. He's chosen us to be here for such a time as this. It's not an excuse for us to lay down the sword. God calls us to be faithful. Shamgar was working. And you know what? The Lord is watching. He takes note of our faithful service, and he will bless you here and now, and he certainly is going to reward you for your faithfulness in the future. Shamgar the worker. Secondly, Shamgar was a warrior. As I said a moment ago, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Canaanites under King Jabin and his powerful army. No doubt, Jabin had disarmed the Israelites, he had made them weak militarily so they couldn't rise up. They were not in a position to defend themselves. And what that did was it provided an opportunity for the Philistines, a warlike people who who lived near the Mediterranean Sea to take advantage of that situation. And they would come and invade their villages. They would capture slaves. They would steal their crops. They would destroy their villages. It's why Judges 5 said it was a time when people were afraid to walk in the highways and they would would use the, the outskirts and they were afraid to live in villages, in their homes. When the Philistines came, Most of the people in Israel would flee in terror. They wanted to avoid death or capture. That's what verse 6 of chapter 5 says in the days of Shamgar. Uh, And he talks about the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. Well, that was the general norm for Israel. The nation of Israel, Shamgar, however, didn't flee. Shamgar refused to flee. When the Philistines came, the Bible says that he fought the Philistines and he slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. He didn't have any weapons of war, but he had his ox goad. And while that was a tool, it certainly ended up being used. As a weapon. And obviously, you can imagine how that point, that tip on the end of that, that ox goat could be used like a spear. The other end with the shovel, the spade, could have been used like an axe. It was, a, it was not a weapon, but it certainly became one. And what I'm simply saying is Shamgar took what he had and he used it to secure victory and safety for his people. Now the Bible says that he slew 600 men. Did he do that all at one time? Did he do that over the course of time? We don't exactly know, but we do know that God used him mightily to secure victory. You think, 600 men? Man, if he he did that all at one time, he was... He was probably a guy who would have been in top-notch physical condition. But his power wasn't physical. His power was spiritual. Shamgar was a man who was empowered of God for this particular task. And there can be no doubt that the Spirit of God enabled him to stand and fight like he did. While other people were running away, Shamgar stood and fought by the power of God because he knew that there were some things worth fighting for. And can I just remind you that while we are to be workers, we must also be warriors. When God saved us, in a sense, he enlisted us into his army and he set us about the business of spiritual warfare. We've been talking about this in talking about Galatians and the Holy Spirit, that we're in a war today. We're in a war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you know what, friend? Here's the point. Some things cry out for us to stand our ground and to fight for. If we don't fight and if we don't protect those things that matter, they're going to be taken away and they're going to be destroyed. What things are worth fighting for? How about your home? You know, your children are worth fighting for. Your children are worth dying for. There's not a sacrifice that should be too great or a price too high for those that God has given into your care. That requires some regular maintenance and some regular uh, self examination, friend. Because we operate on a realm where we think what we're doing is right. And sometimes we need other people to point out to us hey, you know what? You could do this better with your kids. I need that. Because you got some things that are a little bit inconsistent and it could be a danger or you could do a better job if you'd fight harder. Well, that would mean that I would have to give this up or I would have to sacrifice that. So what? You mean you have to give of yourself and you have to sacrifice of yourself? For your children? Right? Yeah, we do. And it requires daily, regular. We should fight for their salvation. We should fight to protect them from this world and from Satan. The truth is worth fighting for. That's another thing. The church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. Jude states that we should earnestly contend for the faith, which the once-for-all-time faith that was delivered unto the saints. There are those that would creep in and pervert the truth. There are those who are compromising the truth in our day. And the world would slip in and take away the things that are holy unto the Lord. Just because one time we stood for truth and one time we were doctrinally sound is no guarantee that this time that we're going to be doctrinally sound and stand for truth it is a war it's a fight do you know what happens church members let the world in the world makes inroads into their lives and through that avenue then the world makes inroads into the church We must not let the world make inroads into our lives and into the church. We need to fight for truth and stand for truth. You know what? And sometimes that means even at the cost of relationships and friendships. But a lot of Christians are weak. A lot of Christians value Uh, how they feel about people and about friendships more than they value truth. And so when it comes time, like here's a glaring error and here is something that should be defended or here's truth, I'm going to shy away from speaking truth because of the fact that I'm going to lose that as a friend. Or not to be the pillar and ground of friendships or to be the pillar and ground of truth. And we ought to speak the truth, and we ought to speak it in love. But Christians are so weak these days. Our loyalty isn't to truth. Our loyalty is to men. Our loyalty is to people. And it causes compromise. And like I said, just because one time we were standing for truth and right is no guarantee that tomorrow we're going to stand for truth and right. It's a fight that's worth fighting for. How about the lost? The lost are worth fighting for. You have family and friends and other people who don't know the Lord. They don't know God and maybe they don't even care about God. But they need somebody to stand in the gap and intercede for them. They need people praying for them. They need people who will not be apathetic but who will tell them about Jesus Christ. Someone fought for you. Someone fought for me. Someone prayed for you. People were praying for me when I didn't know God. It's God's will that you and I stand and fight for others who don't know the Lord. So you see what I'm saying? There's a challenge here. We're in a war. Shamgar was a warrior who stood his ground and God used him. And then thirdly and lastly, Shamgar was a winner. He was a winner. The Bible tells us at the end of our text verse that he also delivered Israel. He delivered Israel. God used him and he delivered Israel. His courage freed people around him, and his courage allowed others to live in freedom and liberty. He made a difference in the lives of those that he fought for. We're fighting for things that truly matter. And it may seem at times that there's very few victories anymore. But in spite of that... The fight is still worthwhile. If God has you here, then that means that God still wants you to fight. Yeah. Are you willing to fight the good fight of faith so that God can use you to make a difference in other people's lives? And you know what? It doesn't stop with us. If we can, if we can pass down a pure gospel and a pure church to the next generation... So if God tarries, then we've been successful. If we can hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the end of the day, we've been successful. If we stay faithful to the Lord, we will be successful. So let me encourage you today. Stay in the battle. All around us, and maybe you don't even know this as much as maybe I do simply because of hearing and connections and so on. But people all around us are laying down the ox code and running away. Some are running away to join the enemy, which is the world. Christian people walking away because it's too hard. Or they've let the world in and it's affected them so much and they depart. And they leave to go join the enemy, can I encourage you to stay in the fight? Can I encourage you to keep on preaching, keep on teaching in the ministries that you have, that God has given you. Keep living for the Lord, keep being a witness, keep fighting for the things that matter. Don't be discouraged. And I don't know this for a fact, but it sure does seem like it. It seems like we are a lot closer to going home now than ever, ever before. It's too close to quit. Be like Shamgar. Stay in the fight. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You know what? There are times when you feel like quitting. I have. And I'm sure it's not the last time either. But in those times, what do you do? What should you do? Well, we should look to the greatest example of steadfastness. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be encouraged by Him. Hebrews twelve two says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And notice the last, or the next verse. Paul says, For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds the admonition of the apostle paul has looked to jesus who's the greatest example and the author and finisher of our faith his power his might his presence lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds let his example inspire us so that we can be like the apostle paul who said i fought a good fight i finished my course i've kept the faith Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So what can we take away from this study of Shamgar? The obscure one. What lessons can we glean for our own lives? I want to just suggest a few as I close here. And you need to remember that God can use anyone even people who think that they're nobodies, God can use them for his glory. Shamgar wasn't well known. He's only there for just a brief moment, and then he's gone. First, the first thought or the first takeaway that we can learn from this is that Shamgar fought where and when he was. He didn't give in to fear. He didn't wait for better circumstances. He didn't blame others for things. He just took his stand for the Lord, and he won the victory. Where you're at, where God has you, that's where you stand. That's where you fight. We can't blame other people for our failures. We can't blame other people and say, well, you know, I would, except, no. God has you here. God wants you right here. And this is where you take your stand and where you fight. Shamgar fought where and when he was. Secondly, Shamgar fought with what he had. No matter how weak you think your weapons are, you put them in the hands of God, God will use you and will use what you have. Shamgar's ox code. Moses' staff, David's sling, the widow, a little meal, a little oil, the lunch that the little boy had. Give it to the Lord. Let God use it because little is much when God is in it. Thirdly, Shamgar stood his ground and he was faithful. Shamgar just made up his mind he was going to fight. Fourthly, Shamgar left the results to God. Every time he fought, he put his life on the line. Shamgar just trusted God with his life you know what? That's a great principle, but one that's really hard to put to practice. Yeah. I was just talking to a lady earlier. We were talking about this very thing. Sometimes the things that you know the best are the hardest things to put to practice. Oh, we know the principle. We can trust God with our life. But then to actually do that is another thing altogether. Shamgar left the results to the Lord. He trusted God with his life. And then lastly, Shemgar enjoyed victory. God honored his faith. And God will honor yours too. And So the question is, are you standing your ground in the day of battle? Are you faithful? Do you feel like quitting? Do you feel weary? Do you feel like it's never going to end? If you feel weary and you feel like quitting, friend, don't you haven't been fighting like you should start let him have his way in your life the world may not know your name but the world doesn't have to if you're saved the lord of glory already does know your name amen and he's the one who's important and he'll use you if you stay faithful it's a good encouragement it's a hard day to live in It's easy to compromise. It's easy to let down. It's easy to... What's the point? Don't. Amen? And if you haven't been serving the Lord like you should, start. We're going to stand before the Lord. And what we want to hear is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, encourage people today. I don't know who may need that. But Shamgar was obscure. He's not prominent. He's mentioned only two times, one just in passing. The other time is just one verse that makes a statement about him. But the impact is weighty. The impact was heavy. His life, put in the Lord's hands, made a huge difference in the lives of all those around him. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us understand that you can and will do the same with our life if we put it in your hands. Lord, help us to stay faithful. When others are laying down their weapons, when others are retreating, when others are compromising, when others are blending in with the world, Lord, help us to be God's people, to be different to be set apart, to be faithful, to be godly, to put our life in your hands. Lord, to have a desire. Lord, I just want to be used of you. Help me to stay faithful. Lord, would you encourage us today in Jesus' name.